You're listening to the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast. In this edition, we're featuring a new memoir from British poet Mary J. Oliver. The title is Jim Neat, the case of a young man down on his luck, and it's a fusion of one man's history and his daughter's imagination. Using poetry, prose, letters, diary extracts and photographs, the mysterious and tragic life of an ignored and forgotten man is slowly, tantalizingly revealed. With a club foot in 1904, Jim is sent to a school for crippled poor boys in Penge, London. Longing for adventure, inspired by Treasure Island and Moby Dick, he runs away to sea, age 16. Cape Town to Western Australia. I count five sunrises through a tear in the tarpaulin before crawling out getting frog marched to the bridge. Hard labour or he's overboard, Skipper says. That's okay with me. Donkey work on deck. And I sleep in the open. My sleep as deep as the Indian Ocean. Dad, you'd be proud. I have Bill Neat biceps now and Mum, the salt air's cleared my lungs. My asthma's gone and my twisted foot. It's straight. Jesus wept, I cried out loud to the silvery clouds. I'm cured. Commotion on the bow. The skyline shattered by a landscape spiked with cranes. Australia. White stowaways are welcome. Cheap labour's in demand. The handsomest man you ever set your eyes on is officially an ugly man. Building bungalows for widows of the war. Pretty young widows. And I'm walking out with Dawn. Prettiest widow in town. Signed. Jim Neat. After several years at sea, Jim emigrates to Canada, encouraged by the Canadian government's promise of a plot of land to any hard-working immigrant. He dreams of becoming a wealthy farmer, but his arrival coincides with the Great Depression of the 1930s. No land is forthcoming, and he endures ten years of hardship as a hobo, railroading back and forth across Canada, desperately looking for work. is shunted into town. I shove, am shoved. Bulls order the driver on. I slink away. Alongside the trucks, coordinate speed to perfection. Grab an arm and hauled on board. Talk is of Vancouver. Warmer logging work camps. Squashed into a space the size of Mam's scullery, we play harmonicas. Sing Spivanka. Oh Canada, God save the king. 
almost happy. Rockies erupt, blot out the sky, vanish. Stench of feces and vomit hangs in the bitter air. We pass a train two miles long going east. Men riding the rods or clinging to the roof. Men who didn't get work, where we're headed. Signed, Jim Neat. Lumber Camp, North Saskatchewan, December 1926. Electro chainsaws arrived last week from Germany. Job will be kid stuff now, boss said. That was a lie. My mate was killed the first day. A dead branch fell out of the tree he was ripping into. Widowmakers, they're called. How I long for the woman who'll be widowed if one falls on me. I am a poet and stranger Traveling through this world There is no sickness, torn or danger In that parallel to each other In spite of the desperate circumstances, he meets his woman. She is called Lisbieta a Ukrainian immigrant, and they have two glorious years together on an abandoned homestead in Saskatchewan. Here are a few extracts from her diary. July 1933. There are woods nearby, so we're never short of logs. We have a milk cow, bony, beautiful Sappho, two hogs, chickens, geese, a beehive, and an apple orchard. We share a horse with two families who live nearby. February 1934. Jim took the horse and sledge to Digby Woods to fell a birch for fuel. He tied a pillow to his chest underneath his coat to keep him warm while driving. I laughed so hard to see my Slim Jim fat, I wet myself. No laughing matter in these temperatures. He said the trees shattered like glass when he axed them. October 1934. No period last week. Been throwing up every morning. So happy I've jumped onto the windowsill. November 1934. All night long, Jim wraps himself around baby and me. He says when I go into labor, he'll read to me from Joseph Conrad. I dream about the river. 
However, next time we see Jim, he is in jail. He writes a letter to his beloved sister Queenie. Dearest baby queen, I'm sorry but this is where I am. I've committed no felony but have gone to the dogs. Lisbieta is dead. I can hardly remember what's happened since then. I ended up in Toronto, taking narcotics again. You can imagine the results. I've been, and still am going through absolute hell, in and out of this place more times than I can count. It will be hard for you to understand how tough a place this country can be. Please, keep this from Dad. Outside of that, I need no help. Your loving brother, Jim. He receives this postcard in response. 5 Wolfington Road, West Norwood, London, SE27, England, 12 December 1935. Darling boy, still modelling? As you can see from the photo, don't I look stunning? <laughs> but how shocked I was to read your news. Lisbietta dead. What happened? What happened to the baby? I told Dad, couldn't keep such dreadful news to myself. Don't worry, I didn't mention drugs or jail. I've met a lovely man who owns a huge house in Folkestone, close by the seaside. Come home. Stay with us, dear boy. Imagine the fun we'll have. Your ever-loving baby queen. Jim is transferred to a mental hospital, unable even to speak. Luckily, a progressive superintendent in the hospital takes an interest in him and encourages him to explore his mental state through writing. With access to these papers, we learn what has happened. I get back to Saskatoon with $80 in my pockets for Lisbieta, but she's dead. It's 40 degrees, the curtains are drawn. She died five days ago. Valentina tells me we buried her by the river. Tuberculosis, postpartum hemorrhage, I don't know, I don't know, but... Bleeding, unstoppable bleeding. Valentina's sobbing. I shake her. She falls to the floor. I pull her to her feet. The baby, she says. They took the baby to an orphanage. They say you can't see her because you're of no fixed abode. I'm running. Valentina follows me. Down Queen Street to the Bethany home for unmarried girls and illogism of babies. I hammer on the fortified door. Women in uniform. Push me down the steps. Door slam, bolts yanked across. I break a window, blood and glass. I'm handcuffed. In the North Battleford Hospital for the Insane in a straight jacket, my mouth so dry I can't speak. I creep round the ward past patients, sleeping two to a bed, two comatose to care. I steal a pair of trousers from one, a jacket from another. But there are no shoes. I escape through a back window before dawn, the night's warm. I'm free. 
walk barefoot to the train station, hide in a tunnel till dark, hoist myself up onto a long-distance boxcar slowly passing through, swallow a handful of pills, wake up a day, two days later sprawled, in a siding beaten up by bulls, boxing skills dead, can't stand, can't open my eyes, holes in my mouth where my teeth should be, can't remember, Toronto jail vagrancy, Toronto jail drunk, August, September, October, November, I don't know, one night so cold in a restaurant, pork tenderloins, a bottle of wine, I tell the waiter, call the police, I can't pay, instead he calls an ambulance, I wake up, find myself here, Signed, Jim Neat, 11th of April 1936. After two years in the mental hospital, Jim gets a deportation order back to the UK. He arrives just before the outbreak of World War II and signs up with the Royal Pioneers. On the eve of his departure to Algeria, he writes to Queenie. Save a knack forest ammunition shelter, June 1940. Queenie, I've met someone, a teacher, wild black hair, bewildering brown eyes. She was helping out in the canteen, sold me a packet of Craven A. She said, until she met me, the nicest thing anyone had ever said to her was that she looked like Beethoven. She's called Kate. We hope to marry as soon as possible before I leave for North Africa next week. Can't wait to introduce you. Your ever-loving brother, Jim. They marry in haste. Two boys are born during the wartime period. Kate raises them alone in a remote Cornish cottage. Many letters are exchanged. In September 1945, Kate writes in her diary... Bodmin Moor, Cornwall. In a frock fitted at the waist and flared to just below the knee, I'm pegging out the washing. Two pairs of boy's shorts, four grey socks flapping in the warm September breeze. This world is mine. Mine and my boys. One's playing at my feet, crawling, pulling up grass and sprinkling it into the washing basket. The others collecting ants and worms, <laughs> dropping them in on top. All this will end because Hitler is dead. My hair, wiry and wild, blows across my face so I don't see Jim running over the pitted field towards the cottage, waving his army cap. Not till I hear his voice calling my name over and over again. I glance down into the washing basket at the dead grass, the worms, the hungry ants. Small hands grasp at my hem. Within an hour, Mary is conceived. With the arrival of Mary, history becomes memory. We see Jim and his stormy marriage to Kate through the eyes of their daughter. Bodmin Moor, 
1946. Someone pokes a finger in my face. A deep voice tells the finger off, then thanks the driver. A moorland draught wrinkles my two square inches of exposed skin as someone transfers me from the ambulance to the hood end of a pram and tucks me in at right angles. Two boys clamber on board, filling up the remaining space entirely. The deep voice warns them to keep their feet to themselves. A farm gate is clanked open, slammed shut. I'm pushed for a mile and a half over thunderous fields. My eyes, mini-universes, not here yet. Evil Primrose, 1952 I run out the back door, leap over the garden fence, into the field, flatten a molehill, climb the Africa tree, dislodge a crow's nest, scramble over a high bank, feel myself slipping, grab at handfuls of wet grass. That's when I see the evil primrose. Primula vulgaris, with your fifty pale petals, where there should only be five, and your thrum-eyed yellow gaze, hammering home my terror. It's massive, a freak, and it stinks of rotten fruit. Shall I pick it? Take it home? Mum and Dad will think it's so peculiar, so rare a sight. They'll stop fighting. But I'm scared of its huge face, its hairy leaves like dragons' tongues, too scared to snap its monster stem, scared I'll be strangled by its poisonous threads. Primula vulgaris, with your fifty pale petals, where there should only be five and your thrum-eyed yellow gaze hammering home my terror. But Jim remains a mysterious presence in her life until 25 years after his death when something arouses her curiosity and she sets out to trace his footsteps and perhaps those of her half-sister, the baby abandoned in Saskatoon in 1935. Mary's Psalm The man's hands freeze riding the rails. The skin splits and his nails turn black. 
The boy leaps out of those hands, falls to the ground, lopes off and is lost to the night. The man's Saskatchewan lover dies in a dust storm, their prairie daughter lost to locusts. Years later, the man's daughter in Cornwall has left it too late to hold his hand. Her fingers over the laptop waver. The story now told, she wonders if the dead can read. Need the case of a young man down on his luck. Poems were read by Charlie Richards, Tiffany Clare, and Mary J. Oliver. Letters were read by Jackie Jorgensen, Tiffany Clare, and Charlie Richards. The narrator was Tiffany Clare. Music and soundscapes were by Chris Gregory and published by Scared Crow Music. Recordings of Mary J. Oliver by Chris Doggett at the St. Ives Studio in Cornwall. You heard the voice of Caroline Minx singing the traditional American folk song, Wayfaring Stranger. We would like to thank Sarah Johnson and all at Seren Books for their assistance and cooperation in the making of this podcast. Jim Neat, The Case of a Young Man Down on His Luck, was an Alternative Stories 2019 production for the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast. We hope you have enjoyed this special edition of the podcast. If you've been intrigued by Jim Neat's story, you can purchase the book Jim Neat, The Case of a Young Man Down on His Luck by Mary J. Oliver. It is published by Seren Books and available from Amazon and Good Bookshops. We have published a biography of Mary and some further background to her story on our website, alternativestories.com. You can find even more at www.jimneat.com. Please subscribe to hear new episodes of the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast as they're released and to listen to our previous episodes, including our four-part climate change drama, Anglia. Next week on Alternative Stories and Fake Realities, we'll be presenting our Christmas edition, which will feature a range of familiar and new voices. We'll tell a story that should resonate with anyone who has ever spent the Christmas season away from their home and family. The Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast always strives to present high-quality original content, and in 2020 we intend to work with even more writers, dramatists, and poets to create additions we hope will continue to entertain our listeners and inspire creators. In early January, we will be seeking submissions from writers. We are interested in two different types of entries. Firstly, we will be looking to commission writers to produce specific work based on our current writing themes and prompts, which we'll be announcing shortly. Secondly, we'll be looking to adapt and publish existing work, whether previously published or not. In this context, we'll be asking writers to submit summaries of their stories, plays, or poems, and explain why they think they would make good podcast additions. Please watch our social media feeds, especially our Twitter account, 
at storiesalt and our Instagram at stories.alt for more details. Please also visit our website, alternativestories.com for information on writer submissions and background notes to all our podcast editions.